Well, hello everyone. And uh, it was really interesting that earlier Tim read out something about our robes of salvation. Clothes are quite important, actually, aren't they? And um, Quincy told me one time that <laughs> when he was a fresh-faced, newly recruited member of the church team, someone told him that nobody takes someone wearing shorts seriously. <laughs> I was very pleased to see Dale um, last week actually showed that that was just someone... Um, making sure that the new guy would suffer a bit. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and uh, I took Dale's cue rather than Quincy's, You'll be, as you can see. But however, if you do um, have trouble taking me seriously, I'll try and stand behind the lectern so that you can pretend I'm wearing trousers. And uh, I've got another story where clothes played quite an important role as well. And um, this was actually back in my school days. I don't think anyone likes their school uniform, do they? They're, they're always horrible, they're always uncomfortable. But mine was also the most, like, it was designed to make you stand out from a mile away, basically. We had to wear bright purple blazers, and um, it was in, enforced, basically, that you had to wear them when you're traveling to and from the school, no matter what. And because they were such bright colors, they people would notice if you weren't wearing them. So um, we just literally had to wear them. And why this is important will all become clear because when I was in year 11, we used to have PE lessons, which were not on the school grounds, but way across town. So we'd um, basically have the afternoon, we'd be free from all of the, um, have everything you had to do at school to walk across town then play badminton, which is what I love to do, and uh, yeah, be away from the teachers for a while. And of course, as a slightly rebellious teenager, I love this. And one afternoon, I was taking full opportunity to um, act on my freedom by indulging in a new and exciting activity. I was smoking. And part of the reason that was so exciting <laughs> was that I'd been brought up by my parents to, um, to know that this damages your health and also is pretty smelly, so it's a bit um, antisocial. It's not very nice for people around you. And this actually just added to the excitement for me. It was... Uh, <laughs> um, and, well, the other thing was a girl I fancied actually smoked too and I didn't have much to talk about with her at the age of 16. <laughs> it was an all-boys school so I didn't have much experience with girls and um, so if I smoked then I might have something that she'd want to talk about with me maybe. But anyway, there I was walking down the high street puffing on a cigarette wearing a hideous purple blazer when who should I see walking the opposite direction but my mum. And in fact, I, I quickly realized that she'd seen me right from the other end of the street. And I'd only seen her a few, like 50 yards away or something. So she'd seen me coming a long way. So there was no way that I could quickly chuck away the cigarette and pretend that nothing had happened. She'd already seen me. And as I got closer, I could see her look of delight that her wonderful son was coming along and she'd seen him randomly in the street 
turn to shock and then pain. I managed to chuck the cigarette away and kind of go, hello, mum. <laughs> and all she said was, I'll see you when you get back home from the gym. <laughs> and then walked off. And my world literally had caved in. Seriously, I felt like I'd fallen into a pit. My heart was thudding really painfully from all the guilt and shame of having been caught doing that, um, caught smoking. So I instantly threw the rest of the packet away at the lighter as well, and then proceeded to have a terrible afternoon being repeatedly beaten at badminton. See, I mean, that happened a fair amount anyway, but I wasn't that bad at badminton. <laughs> My mind was actually firmly elsewhere. What am I going to do? My parents are going to go ballistic when I get home. Maybe I shouldn't go home. No, I'm pretty sure that that would make it worse. I finally decided that the best thing I could do was to go home and to, to say I'm sorry and just hope that the punishment wasn't too bad. So with a heavy heart, walked up to the front door, opened it, found my mum and said, mumbled my apology, only for, to my surprise, rather than shouting at me, she said, I forgive you, I love you. I've talked about it with my dad, with your dad, and we decided Whatever you choose, we still love you. You're still our son. You can carry on smoking, but we won't pay for it. You'll have to find a job to, um, in order to get those things. Or you can choose to give up. But either way, we'll still love you. I'd reached rock bottom. So much so that the prospect of punishment was better than the way I was already feeling, and so I'd gone home. But instead of punishment, I'd received forgiveness. Not only that, but I'd been given hope. Despite what I'd done to my parents hurting them, they still loved me, and I hadn't destroyed our relationship I was elated. As I said, I'd gone from right, rock bottom to nearly back to the top again, and it was an incredible feeling. And I resolved that moment not to hurt my parents in the same way again, to try and protect that precious, precious relationship that we had. And the next day at school, I couldn't wait to tell my friends how incredible it was that rather than receiving punishment, I'd been forgiven in this way. So like me, have you ever been caught in the act of doing something that you really shouldn't and felt that almost overwhelming sense of guilt and shame? It really hits you there, doesn't it? And if you have, you'll know that two of the things that we need most as human beings is forgiveness and hope. And this morning we're going to look at a psalm that was written by someone who went through exactly that situation, a really similar emotional roller coaster to what I did. 
And that's Psalm 130, which may come up on the screen, I don't know, but uh, no, it's not. Okay, so you'll all have to look it up in your Bibles, I'm afraid. And um, this psalm is about someone realizing how much they've hurt God and being cut to the heart by it, and then writing about how God responds to them. So let's see how they describe it. Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. So at the beginning of this psalm, this person is deeply miserable. They know that they've sinned, that they've done something to hurt God, and all they can think of to do to relieve that anguish is to cry out to him for mercy. Because they know that they deserve to be punished. But they realize that God is not vindictive, but forgiving. He gives hope to those who cry out to him. And that hope brings the psalmist such elation that they can't help but tell everyone else around them about how great God's love and forgiveness is. Now there are three main things I want to talk about from this psalm today. Firstly, there are two things which God gives us. Hope, well, forgiveness first, and then hope. And then there's two things that we can do to respond to what God gives us. First is hope, and then there's worship. Wait a minute, two plus two equals four, right? Yeah, I know. But um, as I'll explain, hope is both something that God gives to us and a way that we respond to him. So uh, I've kind of fudged it into three. You'll, you'll see as I um, go through later. So let me just pray quickly. Lord, please would your spirit be with us as we look at this psalm and think about what you're saying to us through it. Please would you give me wisdom in sharing your message and would you give us all understanding in hearing it. Please would you touch and change the hearts and minds of all of us this morning and draw us closer to you in love and devotion. Amen. So let's look at forgiveness first. Why do we even need it anyway? Why do we get that sense of guilt and shame 
in our hearts that the psalmist describes so well. The feeling of being right down in the depths, despairing far from anyone and anything. We see God created us, indeed the whole universe, and he created us to be in a close relationship with him. However, we can damage that relationship which we were carefully designed to be in. Just like I damaged the relationship with my parents by smoking, in the same way we can cause harm to ourselves or to those around us. And um, that actually grieves God. That shows him that we don't truly understand his love for us. Or like Jonah, who was asked by God to bring others back into relationship with him, he actually chose to run as far as he could get from the place he was called to and deliberately disobeyed God. I don't know if you've seen the film La La Land, but it's about a young couple in Hollywood. Beautiful couple, lovely relationship, and they choose to chuck it all away in order to pursue their careers instead. And in the same way, we can damage our relationship with God by valuing anything else, money, sex, careers, whatever, more highly than our relationship with him. Or we can simply just forget God's love for us and get distracted. The truth is that we have all sinned in one way or another. But part of God's wonderful design of us is that we have emotions which can help to show us when our relationship with him isn't going right. A bit like pain tells you when there's something wrong with your uh, body. I experienced this recently, falling off my bike, as you can see, I've still got a bit of scarring, but I'm doing a lot better now, so thank you for all those who prayed for me. In the same way as pain shows us something's wrong with our body, our emotions can tell us that something's wrong with our spirit, and it's our spirit which connects us to God. Often, it can take a bit of a push, or even a great big jolt, for us to realize that our relationship isn't going well. I needed my mum to see me walking down the street smoking in order to realize that I was damaging our relationship by doing that. And Jonah, who I mentioned already, needed God to send a storm that almost killed him and everyone on the boat before he realized what he was doing wrong. And, and he um, goes on to say this about how he felt. In my distress, he, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the current swirled around me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. 
Now, the beginning of that sounds a little bit similar to the beginning of Psalm 130, doesn't it? Talking about the depths of despair. And you see, both Jonah and the psalmist have realized that they've hurt their relationship with God. They've understood that this actually has dire and eternal consequences. You're counted amongst the dead if you don't have a relationship with God and do as he asks. And they have realized that the only solution is to cry out to God for mercy and forgiveness. See, we need forgiveness and God wants us to realize this. So he has given us our emotions, this ability to feel the depths of despair, shame and guilt right there in your heart to help us to understand that. But the reason that God wants us to realize this is not just so that we feel bad, but it's so that we ask him for forgiveness because he wants to be in a loving relationship with us. How do we know this? Well, let's look at the psalm again. It says, If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? See, if God reacted to our relationship breaking ways by punishing us and with anger, then all he would get is people who obeyed him because they were afraid of what he'd do. But it goes on to say, but with you there is forgiveness, so that we can, with reverence, serve you. Reverence means to love. It means to worship, to adore, to respect, to think highly of. This isn't fear. God forgives us because he loves us, and he wants us to love him back to lovingly obey and relate to him in return. And he even blesses us with the emotions of joy and happiness, which can help to show us when we are in that good relationship with him. However, the ultimate evidence that God loves us and is willing to forgive us so that we can serve him out of love is that he sent his son Jesus. Jesus, who died and rose back to life, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Hallelujah. Now I've got a confession to make. Despite my promise to myself, I did... Well, and despite my determination not to hurt my parents again, I did actually smoke again. I was tempted. I knew that it was a good sensation. I enjoyed it. And I wasn't able to resist that temptation. Maybe my parents suspected that I was doing this. I don't know. They never mentioned it again. And so I've got no idea how they'd have dealt with it if, um, if that similar situation had arisen again. Would they have said, okay, we'll give you one more chance, but next time you'll be punished? Or would, I don't know. I literally don't know. But the psalmist 
knows that returning to sin is a problem that we all face. And they also knew how God responds when we do. They tell those around them to put their hope in the Lord, for with him is full redemption. You see, my parents might have said, we warned you and you didn't listen, so now we're going to punish you. Or they could have given me more chances. But with God, we get full redemption. And this means not only that he forgives us for what we've done already, but he forgives us for what we haven't even done yet, what we are yet to do. See, God knows we're not perfect, but he loves us with his perfect love. And so he's willing to accept our pleas for forgiveness, even though he knows that we won't necessarily stay clean afterwards. And it doesn't mean that God will happily turn and look the other way when we sin. Tragically, there are always consequences when we sin, when we don't keep in good relationship with God. At the least, we'll miss out on the wonderful and perfect will that he has for our lives. But if we serve God with reverence, this means trying to keep in good relationship with him and changing our ways so that when we realize that we aren't. And we have God's promise that he will always forgive us and set us back in blessed relationship with him when we turn back to him. It's like that um, well-known story in, in Luke called the prodigal son. When the son realizes what he's done to his relationship with his father and comes back. His father lovingly accepts him and God promises to do exactly the same every time. Because he knows our future as well as our past, he is willing to pay the price to free us from our slavery to sin. And what was that price that God was willing to pay? It was his son, Jesus. Jesus died for all our sins not just the ones we do before we ask him for forgiveness. Jesus is God, so his life is the most precious thing in this universe. And yet, he was willing to use that life to pay for our redemption. Isn't that incredible? And he was willing to give up all of the privileges he had to come down and live as one of the poorest people in the, one of the poorest nations on earth in order to give his life for us. 2,000 years before we were even born, Jesus is our perfect saviour. He's our redeemer. What an amazing love he has for us. It is through Jesus that we receive this full redemption. Now, in order to receive this forgiveness, this full redemption that God promises, or indeed any of his many promises, we need to believe in him, to put our faith in him. In Hebrews 11, it says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. 
And when the psalmist says, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. They're showing this faith that the author of Hebrews is talking about. They have faith that God will deliver on his promises. Not just that he's forgiven them, but also that he loves them and will bring everything together for their good. And this isn't an easy thing for us to do. We sang a song earlier, didn't we, about the storms of life and so on. And um, it says many times in the Bible that just like Jesus did, we will face many struggles in our life. And that's why the psalmist is waiting. He's yearning yearning for God to deliver on his promises, but he can't see all of the evidence for that yet. But the wonderful thing is that God doesn't just forgive people in order to leave them in the same state that they started in. We don't continue to feel that guilt and shame. No, he saves us in order to give us a new hope. He gives us his word he gives us the Bible so that we can read his words, all about his character, his promises, and his plans. He gives us his spirit to live within us so that we can be guided to him and so that we can understand all that God is saying about himself, the truth in what we read. He gives us other believers who come around us, tell us about how God is working in right here and right now, and encourage us to move closer in relationship with God. And he even gives us work to do so that we can delight in being involved in furthering his kingdom. We too can put our hope in God's word, even while we're waiting for him to act in his power. Because he himself gives us the means to do so. The psalmist describes both their difficulty with waiting, but yet their confidence that God will um, provide and he will answer them when they say that they're waiting more than watchmen wait for the morning. This is a difficult thing to do because watchmen have to stay awake and keep alert for danger at all times. But also, they know that with certainty that morning will come and it will bring them the security and excitement of a new day. But let's think a bit more about how they feel. When they're out at night, it's cold. It's dark scary. It can be incredibly boring as the hours drag on, whirling away all that time. They still have to reassure themselves that morning will come, even though they've seen it happen day in, day out, throughout all their lives. They still need to reassure themselves, otherwise they'll run off scared, go and find a fire to warm themselves by, or, or just find something more interesting to do 
and desert their post. See, they still have to act on their faith, even though it's focused on something that is certain to happen. And it's the same for us. God gives us hope in his certain promises, but we still need to act. We still need to put our faith in them. See, when we're waiting on God, like the psalmist describes, we could respond to that situation by just turning away and giving up on him. And the real tragedy is that many people do. When things get hard, they can realize that God isn't who they thought he was sometimes. But if instead we, we look in God's word, understand who he is and what his promises are, then we can have confidence. We can put our confidence in those promises and the assurance that he loves us and has our best interests at heart. When, and then we'll be able to respond with faith. You see, we could read in the Bible about God miraculously healing people and then God can give us the hope that we will see that happen here and now. But if we don't actually go and pray for ourselves to be healed, pray for others to be healed, step out and do something that seems a bit crazy when we're prompted to by the Spirit, if we don't do that, we're not responding to what he provides. We're not truly putting our faith in God. Now you may have noticed in your Bible that at the top of this psalm it says this is one of the songs of ascent. And this marks it out as one of the 15 psalms that the Jews used to sing when they were on pilgrimage to the temple. The temple was the place where God's presence dwelt on earth before Jesus came and before he sent his spirit to fill all believers. And the reason that they're called Songs of Ascent is because the temple was actually on the top of a mountain, well, a big hill anyway. And um, so as the pilgrims were climbing up, um, preparing to meet with God in the temple, they were singing all about their love for him, all their hopes, their fears, everything to do with their relationship with him. And... One of the things that struck me about this psalm as I read through it is the way that the hope that the psalmist has provided to him and the hope with which he res responds as well actually rises as you go through the psalm, just as um, the pilgrims would have got higher as they got closer to the temple. See, it starts out with God giving... Uh, the psalmist forgiveness and a little hope that they will be saved from the depths and forgiven, to which the psalmist responds by crying out to God. So he's risen a little bit there. Then God gives them more hope, an understanding of his character and love and all his promises, to which the psalmist responds 
by waiting on the Lord. So he's risen that little bit more. And he's trusting in God, even through the difficult times. And God keeps on increasing the hope that he's giving to the psalmist and the forgiveness. And, and they respond by calling to all of them around them that they should put their um, trust and hope in God for his forgiveness and love as well. And I just pray that, Lord, you would, please, would you in the same way increase our hope and our faith in you and would we respond in the same way that the psalmist did? So another way that we can respond to God, first is hope, the second one is with worship. And the really interesting thing about worship which is focused on God is the way it speaks to us, to everyone around us. So um, I just want to do a quick poll. Please uh, forgive me if you find this embarrassing, but uh, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if any of, well, so I'm going to say a list of things and I'd like you to raise your hand if the thing I say was part of the reason that you chose to give your life to Jesus, okay? Right, so the first one is, did you hear someone preach the good news about Jesus? Put your hand up, okay. If you put your hand up if hearing people sing songs about Jesus was part of the reason you gave your life, okay. Hearing the Bible read, yeah. Being prayed for, yeah. Seeing a miracle or hearing someone describe one, yeah. Being served by someone practically or seeing people serving others. Okay. And finally, reading an article or a book about Jesus. Right, now, if you wouldn't mind, could everyone who put their hand up already put it up again? And just look around you. That is almost everyone in this room. And that just goes to reinforce all of those things were acts of worship, okay? And that just goes to show what an impact our worship has on those around us. I could have given many other examples. And the truth is, whenever we're worshipping God, we're building faith. If we're worshipping in our room alone, then we are building our faith in God. If we're worshipping here on a Sunday morning, we're, we're still building our faith, but we're also building the faith of those around us as well. Because heartfelt worship of God is never a waste of time. And this psalm, all of the psalms, were written as acts of worship, and they were sung as acts of worship. I don't know if you've heard of John Wesley. He helped to lead a great revival, drawing 
people into closer relationship with God across Britain and America in the 18th century. And before all that happened, one day he went along to St. Paul's Cathedral, don't know why, but he did, and he heard this psalm, Psalm 130, being sung. And it moved him so much that that very evening he gave his life to Jesus. He hadn't been a Christian before that. He heard this psalm and this act of worship, and that moved him to give his life to Jesus. My own story of my journey to faith was also influenced by worship. This was on a, a, a week sailing trip on the Norfolk Broads with a, a Christian group. And the evening that I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Saviour, it was the sung worship that finally broke my heart and made me realise my need for forgiveness. But that I'd also been influenced by um, the week of hearing people preach the words, of seeing the love that those around me had for one another, of seeing how they selflessly served and cared for one another. We can make a real difference in people's lives by serving God with reverence, as the psalm says, or in other words, by worshipping him with both our hearts and our actions. But the great thing is, because that can seem like there's a lot of pressure, can't it? But the great thing is that God doesn't ask us, just ask us to respond to him with heartfelt worship, but he provides us with the means to do so as well. He gives us his Holy Spirit, as I've already mentioned, who helps us to understand just how much we've been forgiven and gives us fuel in our hearts which we can turn back to praise for God. The Spirit also changes our character so that rather than always looking to serve ourselves, we look to bless God and to bless those around us as well. And we can see these things in action in the psalm. God shows the psalmist their need for forgiveness and they respond in worship by crying out to him for mercy and praising him for his provision of forgiveness. God makes promises to the psalmist through his word and they respond in worship by choosing to wait on him patiently. God gives the psalmist compassion for those around them and they respond by worshipfully calling all people to respond to God's love for themselves. Now I want to finish by looking at the last two verses of the psalm again because I I think they really encapsulate, they sum up well the message of the whole psalm. It says, Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Now many of you will know this already, but the word Israel here is referring to God's people, those he's chosen, rescued from their slavery, 
and set aside from the rest of humanity to receive his love and blessings. If you have a relationship with God, you are already a member of his people. And the psalmist is urging you to keep on putting your hope in God's unfailing love and forgiveness. If you don't yet have a relationship with God, then this message is equally applicable to you. If you feel the need for forgiveness, a longing for hope, a hole in your heart that you don't know how to fill, that is because God has chosen you and is calling you to be a part of his people too. The psalmist is urging you to put your trust and your hope in God and his unfailing love and forgiveness. You see, we all need a relationship with God, but we first need to trust him that he will provide all that we need for us to respond to him as he deserves. He has provided the means for us to be forgiven through Jesus' death and resurrection. He will forgive us if we ask him for mercy. He has made us promises of good things and he will provide them if we put our hope in him. He is worthy of our worship for all that he is and all that he has done. And he gives us his spirit to help him, to help us to worship him with all our lives. So we're going to respond to God in worship now by taking communion together. And everyone here who um, calls Jesus Lord is welcome to join us and share in uh, this communion. You don't need to be a member of the church. This is something that God's church has done since the beginning to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. The sacrifice that meant we might be forgiven and come into relationship with God. We also remember the hope that God gives us through Jesus' resurrection, that this life isn't the end. And we also worship God by giving thanks for the precious gift that he's given us as we accept the bread and wine which represent Jesus' body and blood. So I'm going to, in a moment, pray, and then we're going to put on a modern-day Song of Ascents. And I'd like you to just simply sit and listen to the words, to reflect on what God has been speaking to you about this morning. And when you're ready, come up to the front. You can see the bread and the wine are here. And help yourself. There's um, gluten-free bread in the oval basket on my right, and all of the wine is alcohol-free. And if you do want prayer for anything, forgiveness, hope, a heart of worship, your relationship with God, an understanding of Jesus' death and resurrection, or anything else, then please come up to the front once the song is over and I or another 
member of the church would love to pray with you. So I'm going to pray and then we'll have the song will start and when you're ready, come and um, take communion. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the forgiveness and hope that you give us. Thank you that this releases us to love you, put our trust in you and worship you with our whole lives. We know that this doesn't mean things will be easy for us, so please fill us with your spirit and help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, even when the morning seems far off. In Jesus' precious name, amen.